Your idea of me is fabricated with materials you have borrowed from other people and from yourself. What you think of me depends on what you think of yourself. Perhaps you create your idea of me out of material that you would like to eliminate from your own idea of yourself. Perhaps your idea of me is a reflection of what other people think of you. Or perhaps what you think of me is simply what you think I think of you. Modern Grace. Here we are again with another edition of Modern Grace, and today we'll be doing part four of Are You Sharped Tongue? And this should be the last, uh, that should be the conclusion of it. And we'll have Living the Proverbs and My Utmost for His Highest. Plus, as you heard at the beginning, uh, we had a, a brief, uh, well, a brief excerpt from Thomas Burton's book, No Man is an Island. That's what I just read, and we'll read a little bit more about it because it speaks a lot about truth and lying to ourselves and Oh, so many wonderful American traits. But first, let's get started off with uh, Living the Proverbs Day by Day. Living the Proverbs for June 22nd. Our lesson from Proverbs is chapter 3, verses... Oh, my goodness, I can't even remember where I'm at here. Verses 21 through 22. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be the life of your soul and adornment for your neck. A lovely adornment, not like a neck brace. This devotion is entitled, His Calling. And this scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. But as God, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, let, so let him walk. It is terribly important that you heed God's calling by discovering and developing your talents and your spiritual gifts. If you seek to make a difference and if you seek to bear eternal fruit, you must discover your gifts and begin using them for the glory of God. Every believer has at least one gift. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Have you found your special calling? If not, keep searching and keep praying until you find it, because it's there. God has important work for you to do, and the time to begin that work is now. My Utmost for His Highest on June 22nd. This devotion is entitled, The Unchanging Law of Judgment. Our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. With what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This statement is not some haphazard theory but it is an eternal law of God. Whatever judgment you give will be the very way you are judged. 
There's a difference between retaliation and retribution. Jesus said that the basis of life is retribution. With the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. If you have been shrewd in finding out the shortcomings of others, remember, that will be exactly how you will be measured. The way you pay is the way life will pay you back. The eternal law works from God's throne down to us. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 applies it in even a more definite way by saying that the one who criticizes another is guilty of the very same thing. God looks not only at the act itself, but also at the possibility of committing it, which he sees by looking at our hearts. To begin with, we do not believe the statements of the Bible. For instance, do we really believe the statement that says, we criticize in others the very things we are guilty of ourselves? The reason we see hypocrisy, deceit, and a lack of genuine, genuineness in others is that they are all in our own hearts. The greatest characteristic of a saint is humility as evidenced by being able to say honestly and humbly, yes, all those, as well as other evils, would have been exhibited in me if it were not for the grace of God. Therefore, I have no right to judge. Jesus said, Judge not, that you not be judged. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He went on to say, in effect, If you do judge you will be judged in exactly the same way. Who of us would dare to stand before God and say, My God, judge me as I have judged others. We have judged others as sinners. If God should judge us in the same way, we would be condemned to hell. Yet God judges us on the basis of the miraculous atonement by the cross of Christ. As a precursor to the conclusion of Are We Sharp Tongue, I'm going to read a brief, brief excerpt from Thomas Merton from his book, No Man is an Island. And this chapter is Sincerity. <clears throat> Excuse me. Truthfulness, sincerity, and fidelity are close kindred. Sincerity is fidelity to the truth. Fidelity is an effective truthfulness in our promises and resolutions. An inviolate trust, trustfulness, or excuse me, an inviolate truthfulness makes us faithful to ourselves and to God and to the reality around us, and therefore it makes us perfectly sincere. Sincerity in the fullest sense must be more than a temperamental disposition to be frank. It is a simplicity of spirit which is preserved by the will to be true. It implies an obligation to manifest the truth and to defend it. And this in turn recognizes that we are free to respect the truth or not respect it. And that the truth is to some extent at our own mercy. But this is a terrible responsibility since in defiling the truth, we defile our own souls. Truth is the life of our intelligence. The mind does not fully live unless it thinks straight. 
And if the mind does not see what it is doing, how can the will make good use of its freedom? But since our freedom is, in fact, immersed in a supernatural order and tends to a supernatural end that it cannot even know by natural means the full life of the soul must be a light and strength which are infused into it supernaturally by God. This is the life of sanctifying grace, together with the infused virtues of faith, hope, charity, and all the rest. Sincerity, in the fullest sense, is a divine gift, a clarity of spirit that comes only with grace. Unless we are made, quote, new men, creating accord, created according to God, in justice and the holiness of truth, we cannot avoid some of the lying and double-dealing which have become instinctive in our natures, corrupted, as St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4.22, according to the desire of error. One of the effects of original sin is an instinctive prejudice in favor of our own selfish desires. We see things as they are not because we see them centered on ourselves. Fear, anxiety, greed, ambition, and our hopeless need for pleasure all distort the image of reality that is reflected in our minds. Grace does not completely correct this distortion all at once, but it gives us a means of recognizing and allowing for it, and it tells us what we must do to correct it, Sincerity must be bought at a price. The humility to recognize our innumerable errors and fidelity in tirelessly setting them straight or setting them right. The sincere man, therefore, is one who has the grace to know that he may be instinctively insincere and that even his natural sincerity may become a camouflage for irresponsibility and moral cowardice as if it were enough to recognize the truth and do nothing about it. How is it that our comfortable society has lost its sense of the value of truthfulness? Life has become so easy that we think we can get along without telling the truth. A liar no longer needs to feel that his lies may involve him in starvation. If living were a little more precarious and if a person could not be trusted, found it more difficult to get along with other men, we would not deceive ourselves and one another so carelessly. But the whole world has learned to deride veracity or to ignore it. Half of the civilized world makes a living by telling lies. Advertising, propaganda, and all the other forms of publicity that have taken the place of truth have taught men to take it for granted that they can tell people whatever they like provided that it sounds plausible and it evokes some kind of shallow emotional response. Americans have always felt that they were protected against the advertising business by their own sophistication. If we only knew how naive our sophistication really is, it protects us against nothing. We love the things we pretend to laugh at, we would rather buy a bad toothpaste that is well advertised than a good one that is not advertised at all. And most Americans would, wouldn't be seen dead in a car their neighbors had never heard of. Sincerity becomes impossible in a world that is ruled by a falsity that it thinks is clever enough to detect. 
Propaganda is constantly held up to contempt, but in contempting it, we come to love it after all. In the end, we will not be able to get along without it. This duplicity is one of the great characteristics of a state of sin in which a person is held captive by the love for what he knows he ought to hate. Now we continue with, are you sharp-tongued? Are you? Part four. Righteous indignation is frequently an excuse to make a speech that draws attention to itself. Conversely, Christ instructs the apostles to shake the dust off their shoes and quietly walk away from a city that would not receive them. Many of us can think of times when something was not right. Someone was behaving badly or an activity was improper. Whenever someone spoke in, quote, righteous indignation about it, the words would fly and a war broke out. Such civil wars never end positively. How different they may have turned out if a peaceful approach had accompanied the disapproving statement. Righteous indignation often arises when we feel we have no control over the situation, yet we do not like what is going on. We must remember that Christ has promised to fight our battles. He knows our distress, especially if the behavior in question is truly wrong. He will take care of the sinner, and we must remember that with what judgment we judge, we will be judged pain and humor. We live in a society absorbed with its own feelings. Today, people are addicted to seeing seeing themselves as victims and demanding special tolerance, favor, acceptance, or gifts. Yet a mind concerned with its own painful experiences, rejections, mistakes, or emotional hurts is one that refuses healing. These emotions comfort like old bandages, and many are afraid to see what is underneath. Some cling to them because they give special, quote, handicap privileges, and they use them to justify what they believe, say, or do. It is a demonic delusion because it only perpetuates the pain and denies the freedom or forgiveness that God offers. Pain should serve to, ter- to teach and mature us not box us into the darkness. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says, Christ learned by the things he suffered. His pain was his teacher. Likewise, our painful experiences can teach us the contrasts between this human life and the glorious life for which God is preparing us. However, a mind that feels pain speaks pain, and if left unchecked, will eventually drive others away. Sharing a painful experience with the confidant is empowering and emotionally bonding, but continually continually sharing it with anyone who will listen deludes us into thinking that it is good for us when it is actually a kind of psychosis. Preoccupation with personal pain denies the fruit of the Spirit. It brings no peace or joy or love. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 teaches, For as one thinks in his heart, 
so is he. It is easy to become caught up in life's painful experiences, and some of us have had enough of them to fill novels. Yet Paul instructs the Philippians not to dwell on themselves so much. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. At times, the best way to put aside pain is to care for the needs of someone else. Positive and outgoing communication provides plenty of time to talk about painful experiences, but it does not allow them to become a way of life. When someone asks, we can feel free to express some of the painful events of our lives, but we should show interest and concern for the other's experiences and provide encouragement as needed. Finally, we excuse much misuse of the tongue as humor. As mentioned before, we must determine whether our humor is building or tearing down. Is it to lighten another's heart with laughter or to make him the butt of a joke? Most of us never know when our teasing and joking goes beyond what another person may enjoy into the realm of discomfort, so we have a difficult time judging our unique brand of humor. Perhaps we can allow Jesus Christ to be our guide there. He did not bang off one-liners at the Pharisees or lace his sermons with put-downs at the Samaritans. His life expressed joy, but not at the expense of others. He always showed remarkable respect even for his enemies. Yet it is obvious from the many things he created that he does have a sense of humor, particularly man and his proclivity to find humor even in the worst situations. Paul gives the Philippians a set of standards for their thoughts, a list that certainly applies to speech as well. This is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What we think about will reveal itself in what we say. A mind fed by godly wisdom can follow this advice and control the most wild of all members, the tongue. As we grow in that great wisdom, our words will become fresh and reliable. We will lose the sharp edge from our tongues. Our speech will not be duplicious, like grapes growing on a fig tree or bitter waters emerging from a freshwater spring. Once we emerge out of the ruts of human habit in our communication, we will truly begin to express what is true, noble, pure, lovely, and good. Our words will convey virtue and offer praise to God, uplifting those who hear us. As James ends his third chapter, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Verse 18. So will be the results of our efforts. Righteousness will come to fruition in an atmosphere of peace.